Hi, and welcome to the American Mouse Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Smith. This week, I had the pleasure of talking with Jessica Strong. She is an Army spouse and the co-director of Applied Research at Blue Star Families. BSF is a truly fantastic organization that I admittedly was only recently introduced to, but BSF works to strengthen the relationships between military families and their civilian communities, which means this episode is really for all of us. You'll hear us talk about the annual Military Family Lifestyle Survey, which is fielding right now, and I sincerely encourage all of my male spouse and military member listeners to please take a moment to fill this survey out. The link will be in the show notes, it will be on our website, our social media, and you can also go straight to bluestarfam.org. We talk about so many different aspects of male spouse life on this podcast, and this survey is truly a way to amplify our voices and be heard on a national level. You're going to love hearing from Jessica. We had such a great conversation about everything from employment to Outlander. So let's get started. Well, hi, I'm Jessica Strong. I am the co-director of Applied Research at Blue Star Families. And in that role, I am responsible for our annual military family lifestyle survey. I come to Blue Star Families from academia. I was a assistant professor at University of North Carolina, Wilmington before PCSing. So we were there for almost almost five years, just shy of five years. I was, and, and five years is when you hit tenure. We moved and I had to switch careers, like many, not really careers, switch um, the shape that my career trajectory was going to take, mm-hmm. like many, many, many military spouses before me. And that's what brought me to Blue Star Families. So before I joined Blue Star Families, I was a professor and I did research on military families. And then once I moved, I started volunteering because as another common story to mil- to, to military spouses is unemployment when you move. So I went from, our family in particular went from I'm me earning more, like more than half of the income to unemployment, mm. which was really hard. And I know a lot of spouses face the same thing. So That's especially that, dramatic because I know for us at least, um, partially just because of the nature of when we started dating and you know, it was early enough in my career that Fortunately, I never made up more than half of our income because I, fortunately and unfortunately, but I left the job that would have done that just before we got married. But that had to be a really big adjustment, especially to have done that for, you know, a handful of years. And it was, it was tough to be that close to tenure and to see all of, I mean, I'm, I'm still teach online there and, uh, but I moved to a adjunct professor position. So doing the same kind of work, just not like basically part-time. Right. And is that, so is that just standard? You can't be tenured if you're not in the area. Like that's not, there's no option to be a sort of a remote tenured professor. So that's what I thought I was going to do when I started out the PhD program. I was like, okay. oh man, there's so many online schools now. It'll be easy to just mm-hmm. like get a, get a online professor position. And then I can just move from place to place to place to place. And mm-hmm. that's how it's going to work. That was not how it worked. Oh, interesting. <laughs> not, that's not how it ended up happening. Okay. Um, especially now, especially now during COVID, there are a lot of places that are doing everything online. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really increased. But this was several years ago. And some universities would have, you could be uh, tenured if you were 
online only, distance, like remote only, but not the one that I was with. They, uh, they really focused on building a community atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was not something that they, they were able to support at that time. Gotcha. And tell me where you guys are. We're in Tennessee. We're at Fort, well, Fort Campbell's technically in Kentucky, but it's on the Tennessee border. So we're on the Tennessee side. Awesome. And can you tell me a little bit more about Blue Star Families as an organization, what they do, what their mission is? Yeah, absolutely. So Blue Star Families was founded by military spouses who, in 2009, who sort of looked around and recognized that civilians don't often understand what military lifestyle is like. Um, And I know that for for me, I didn't have a lot of military family before I married my husband. So I did not know what I was getting myself into. And uh, it's a whole new thing. Like there's, there's a new language we were just talking about. There's a new, a whole different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And civilians don't, they, they don't understand it. So the connections between military and the civilians in the, in the communities in which they live were, were weaker. They weren't, mm-hmm. they were reliant on the civilian's ability to understand what military life is like. And it's so different that it's really hard to do. So they founded Blue Star Families to try and bridge that civil military gap because they know that that requires information and understanding. So if we want to build understanding, we have to bring data and stories to mm-hmm. help help explain what that lifestyle life is like. So they founded the they founded Blue Star Families and started the annual military family lifestyle survey. So this was it started fielding in 2009. They only had like 2000 respondents, which which actually is really good for first fielding. Sure. Um, but it has grown and grown over the years. We are in the middle of our 11th fielding of it and it last year had over 11,000 respondents. So mm-hmm. It has really grown and it's started to be recognized as a vital source of information for people who are making decisions about military life. So that could be military leadership, civilian leadership, school administrators, philanthropies and, and foundations who are making okay. decisions about how to spend their resources and how to support um, military families are making decisions based on some of the information, the research that Blue Star Families provides. That's fantastic. And I took the survey earlier today and I can say, I really just want anyone listening, I want to encourage them to take it because it, it was also really interesting for me. It kind of made me stop and think about certain things and different, different bases. We've had different levels of connection and why that may be. And so it was also sort of introspective as to, obviously we're new here. So I kind of tried to temper my responses accordingly, but it was really cool to think about things in those ways. And I know you mentioned all these different people who are really listening to those results. And they're the sort, there are questions on there that are the things that I sit around with my friends, that I hear the people I interview lamenting. And so this is our chance, and this is a chance to voice that opinion, say strongly disagree, whatever the case may be, and bubble that up because yeah. I think. It's just really important as military spouses, we do have a lot of hardships and this is an opportunity to speak on those and this is an opportunity to express those needs. And so I just really wanna encourage people listening to do so because it doesn't take that long. Can you tell me more about, I know you just referenced a, a number of completely valid reasons to do so, but some some of the ways that the surveys use, some decisions that maybe were made by it or policies that were changed or yeah yeah so being air force this is some this is something that you might be familiar with the air force just came out with this 
way of making decisions on on basing options in the future. So when they look at where to place an installation or a base, they're, they not only look at what are, what are the resources that are available in that area, now they have just rolled out this way of making, making those decisions, like a, kind of like a metric or a rubric where they, are, where they measure things that are important to military families. So mm-hmm. they will look at what the education system is like in the surrounding community for military kids. They will look at what spouse employment options, opportunities there are in that surrounding community. And this is the first time a, a branch has looked at, okay, we're going to make some decisions, but we're going to base it on what the family needs, not, mm-hmm. not just what the service needs, not just what we need to be mission ready, but also mm-hmm. what these families need to succeed. Because we know that families are part of what makes the service member mission ready. Sure. And a big part of the retention, which yes. when you send families to the middle of nowhere, sometimes they don't want to stay there. I've, I've heard that's a thing with Air Force bases. Uh, they have to be like in places that are really spread out and there's not right. a lot. Of, they tend to need these, these large strips of land for some reason. And so, yeah. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, the army has that a little bit too, because they have to have go train and like, you know, sure. practice artillery and stuff. Right. Um, so we get that a little bit, but not not as much as the Air Force, I understand. Sure, sure. Which, and I will say with that, we've been very lucky. We're, you know, we're obviously on the beach now. And yeah, we actually, we were in Idaho. We lived in Boise. The base itself was rather middle of nowhere, but uh, absolutely loved Boise. Yes. My sister lives in Boise. Oh my gosh. I just went out to visit and it, and it's, when I first heard that she was moving to Boise, I'm like, really? Yes, completely. That's what everybody thinks. And most people think it's where Iowa is. And there's (laughs) nothing but misconceptions about it, which is funny, too, because I don't know how long she's been there or what she's run into. But people who are from there are so against people moving there. I know. It's all people from California who are moving in. California is a first word in Iowa. I know. And, uh, but yeah, absolutely wonderful place. I know it was beautiful. I loved it out there. Mm-hmm. And I, did not, so we went out for a visit and I did not think I was going to love it. I'm like, it's desert. I mean, right. once out there, <laughs> but it's gorgeous. Anyway, I'm sorry. I kind of cut you off, but we were talking about changes that have been inspired by the survey. Yeah. So there's, there's the, the Air Force looking at, you know, different characteristics of the communities surrounding mm-hmm. the bases, which I think is, is, is very important because most of us live in the community. Like 70% of us don't live on a military installation. We live out with civilians in the civilian community. So right. we want to make sure that that's a, 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 pl- a good place that we want to live. So that was one there. And it's just, it's just informed so many different things. Yeah. So this year, Senator Blumenthal introduced the Command Accountability for Military Family Readiness Act. And in that introduction, he actually cites Blue Star Families and says, you know, this is military family readiness is so important that we are going to have to we we need to start making commanders accountable and for ensuring that their families are doing okay, military family well-being. So really putting teeth into the idea that families should be supported rather than just lip service. Yes, we love military families and our families are great and they're the backbone, but really making sure that they have what they need to be successful. That's great. That's fantastic. And that's just inspiring to know that that is happening kind of on the back end. And, and the survey is anonymous, correct? It, oh, well, without getting into 
too many of the details between anonymous and confidential. It is confidential. So we, of course, working in the military space, we know a bit about OPSEC and we want to make sure that everybody's uh, information is private and kept secure. Mm -hmm. So on, on the survey itself, you won't find anything that asks for private information, like your name, your address, your, your, mm -hmm. your email. There is one question at the end of the survey that asks if you want to participate in future research. You can put your email address in that. You don't have to. So you can take the survey and it will be completely confidential. There is, however, you can opt in to get an uh, to a raffle to receive one of five $100 gift cards. That's sort of our thank you for taking the survey. Mm -hmm. And if we want to give you the gift card, we have to know where to send it. Sure. <laughs> so in that form, we do ask your name and your address and sure. your email address and stuff like that. So you don't have to opt into that. You can leave that on the table, but, and those two things are kept completely separate. There's, there's no connection between that gift form, the gift card form and the, and the survey. So we take a lot of steps to make sure that your information is kept as confidential and secure as it can be. Awesome. And can you tell me, you mentioned your specific position, but a little more about exactly what you do with Blue Star Families? Yeah. So my role at, at Blue Star Families and is most is co-director of applied research and that means that I and my co-director Jenny Aiken um, who is my my counterpart and my hashtag work wife we split up the the research projects that might be supportive to military families so I'm I focus on the military family lifestyle survey she has done a lot of work with our COVID military support initiative which is a partnership with the Association of Defense Communities Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen anything about that, but when COVID hit, we knew that it was going to impact military families mm -hmm. in lots of ways. So we immediately rolled out in part in this partnership, rolled out a pain points poll, which was research that we did, polling research that we did every week to figure out what are the things that are impacting families? How is this impacting families' mental health, their, their stop movement, their relocation, um, their children's mental health, all of those mm -hmm. things. And so she's done a lot of research on that um, and on the COVID response and what we can do to improve COVID response. Mm -hmm. So those are two broad buckets. Yeah. And so I'm just out of curiosity, prior to COVID, was she, did she sort of split off? Were you kind of otherwise working under the same bucket or? So it's so, it's funny because like COVID hit and and so many spouses lost their employment or had to reduce their hours, either because we're, we're, there's no childcare available or we're trying to virtual school children. And that is just not, just yep. doesn't fit really well with working full time. So, right. so many military spouses lost their employment or had to reduce their hours or had to go down to part-time or, or work around it in some way. Mm -hmm. But for our research team, the, it, exploded. We had so much more that we could do in order to support military families. We wanted to right. be able, this is an opportunity that we have to see how military families are being resilient. How are they um, experiencing hardships? Mm -hmm. So before that, we had one project that we, that we did primarily. I mean, there were little projects here and there, but mm -hmm. it was the military family lifestyle survey. Mm -hmm. That was what we focused on. And it was one major publication, the comprehensive report that we did every year. Since COVID hit, we've done like one or one or more publications a month. It wow. has really 
shot up and there's it's and it's a lot of really good work mm-hmm. um really important work that it's been very meaningful so i bet that's something that i can't obviously you can speak much better than i can to the overall effect but i know in the tiny tiny microcosm of our family it was essentially one of those straws that breaks the camel's back because i was at the time working part-time remotely but it sort of just became that thing that the survey kind of speaks to in terms of different ways that you were affected i just was taking it and guess this that you know (laughs) but it was a mix of that yeah you're concerned to send your kid to childcare, but you can't send them to your moms or your sisters or because you can't even if i could have if it were some other sort of circumstance where suddenly my girls needed to be home all the time while i needed to get this work done i am blessed that i could have basically fled home said mom you know take these kids while i do this report but it's a pandemic and you can't do that and it just came down to this situation where, you know, I'm not making enough money for our family to be this stressed out about this. And so I stopped working. And that was pretty much what it came down to. And I think that I'm sure I'm so interested in the research that you've done there, because I think that it's something that impacts everyone. Absolutely. And there are parts of it that I think a military family has been able to be a little bit more resilient about, for instance, not seeing people as often or you know right (laughs) that's that is precisely what i was saying is like man military families are used to living in uncertainty we are used to not knowing what is going to happen next we are made for this yes and and we're good at finding the resources and we're good at making it work and to the credit of the different branches of service there are resources that sometimes you don't learn exist until you absolutely have to find them but even so we do it and now it's just a situation where even our our leadership they're uh they're just kind of flailing like the rest of us they're doing their best to figure out what we need and i think it's awesome that you guys are doing that research to be able to tell them how we're impacted and what we need yeah i'm i'm super curious to see what our um, spouse employment numbers are going to look like now because they were already way above the civilian comparison. They were, or we were already at 24% unemployment in military spouses. Those are just the people who are looking for work. This, that isn't even, doesn't even count the spouses who are like, you know what? (laughs) I'm tired of starting over every time we have to move. I'm just done. I'll, I'll get back in when, when our family is settled. So it's not even counting the people who have stepped out of the workforce. It is just people who are looking for work. That's uh, wild. That's 24%. That's just like, break, that's heartbreaking. I'm just on a soapbox now. <laughs> I have a whole episode where I've done this, so I'll cut this out probably because people are sick of hearing me say it. But um, then, you know, those 76%, how many of them are underemployed? How many of them are taking? I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> I can tell you. Because we ask, the only reason that we can tell people this, and the only reason, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that we've had so many, so much focus on spouse employment, both at, at national level, at, at federal level, where there's executive orders and there's states that are signing reciprocity agreements back and forth, is because we can tell you that this many, this percentage of military spouses are unemployed, and 77% of those who are employed are underemployed mm-hmm. in some way. They're working 
for less than they've worked before. They're working fewer hours than they'd like. They're working at, a, at an education level that is below what they, the education level that they currently have. Those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So sure. I have, I've, we've been married uh, just over six years now and I've had, I don't know, 74 jobs. I've never made as much as I made the job I left before we got married. And I've, I've never touched that salary, <laughs> which is okay. That's a sacrifice I'm fine with but I just shouldn't have to. And you know that, and I'm preaching to the choir, but. That's one of the things that I think is going to come, that is going to be a silver lining of, of COVID, I think, um, is that everybody is remote working now. Mm-hmm. So we know it's possible to yes. move people to remote work. And that is flexible employment that you can either take with you when you move, or you can shift the hours around so that you can, take care of kids when you need to take care of kids and then work when you need to take care of work. That I think is going to help. I think that can help solve some of the spouse employment issues because you won't have to restart every time you move somewhere. I, I agree. I agree. And there are, and leave that job that you love. Right. Completely agreed. And even, and I did actually work remotely for a company for a while. Absolutely wonderful company where I was one of just a few military spouses. So then you start to put things on yourself and you start to worry about, you know, when the husband's deployed or when you're moving, you just have these different stressors. But I think that just people kind of getting more of a taste of what it's like to have your kids with you and just more people, even those that are working remotely, just having more of a feel for what that weird juggling act is like just creates a compassionate space that makes you a little bit more comfortable just being your true, your true military spouse self with all of the things that that comes with in the workplace. So so I'm going to drop a little teaser for you. One of the things that, so in all this research that we're doing, one of the the projects that I worked on is called the Resilience Under Stress Study. And so it was looking at military families' resilience during COVID and actually being able to compare that to where they were last year, because we have an annual survey, right? Mm -hmm. So it, this 2019 survey, military family lifestyle survey, fielded in like May, April, May, June of 2019. Well, that's when prime COVID season this year, what mm-hmm. happened. We had the huge impacts of COVID at that point. So we fielded this survey again from May to June of 2020. And we looked at those two things in comparison and said, all right, what's, what's different? What has changed since COVID started? And one of the things that I found so heartening is that military family, we ask, to what degree does the general public or does your local civilian community understand the sacrifices of military families? Mm-hmm. And it increased from last year to this year. Like, we, military families feel like their communities understand them better now. That's great. Mm-hmm. Maybe because of this level of uncertainty that we're all used to, we're like, yes, we know, the government's telling us what to do. We, <laughs> we deal with that all the time. Right. But That's- because we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. That's so true. It's sort of leveled the playing field for some of that. Unfortunately, that's it's sort of created more chaos <laughs> for our civilians. <laughs> right. But you know, we can help them with that. We're we're right. used to that. We've got some we've got some built resilience that we worked mm-hmm. hard to earn and we can share with them about how do we make it work when we don't know what schools are gonna look like next week. That is the absolute truth. Yeah. And we <laughs> we actually have this crazy hurricane now. So the oh, last God. Two schools are like canceled, which again, our girls are younger, but schools like now canceled. And so the 
people have sent their kids. It's like they got like, I don't know, a week and a half. <laughs> now they're all bad. Just enough to get them used to it. And then. Right. Right, exactly. So it's like, good luck oh, with any sort of routine. I don't know. Throw it out there. And military families know that's the worst. It's like we, that transition back and forth and back and forth. Right. Oh, God, just pick something and stick with it. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. So I'm curious. I know you've mentioned a bit of this at the beginning, but that you were obviously at the college teaching and then you sort of moved into a volunteer role. So were you always kind of hoping to come on board with Blue Star Families or did that evolve? And just sort of how you dealt with being unemployed after especially having such a, what I would assume, such a rewarding and, you know, productive yeah, job. It was really rewarding. It was something that, that was, was hard to get to. So mm-hmm. we're going on 15 years of marriage. And so I, I got all of my education, most of my education after we got married. So this is with moving around from place to place to place. So we were stationed in one place long enough for me to get through this PhD program. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, as I mentioned earlier, the goal was I'm going to get this PhD and then I'm going to teach online mm-hmm. and that's going to be the way things go. And that was not <laughs> the way things went. So getting to a professor position was a, a long journey and it was a, a confluence of lot of luck and things just working out well, especially in military life. We just happened to move to a place that had a program. And then we just happened to move to a place that had to, to uh, Fort Bragg where UNC Wilmington was close enough and they had an opening and it just worked out really well. Um, and then luck ran out. <laughs> and I had invested so much of my identity in being professor and working so at this long journey of my career, not not that long, but working on years and years yeah, to get this get to this yeah, place. You hard for that. And then to go from that to unemployment was really challenging to a sense of identity. And mm-hmm. I think that's true for a lot of spouses that who have invested a lot of like you had invested a lot of time and energy honing your your skills in a particular area and in career. And then one day your luck runs out and you move to someplace that that's just not going to work. Right. So that was a challenge to a sense of identity, but learning from that, you can't invest too much in one thing. Like we're Mm -hmm. all multiple things. Right. So once we, once we moved and started looking for jobs and looking for jobs and as you might expect, overqualification is was was a bit of a concern and i know that's a concern for a lot of spouses like they move to a place where they are overqualified for every for lots of things it's really frustrating to continue to apply for things and apply for things and be told you're overqualified for it and you're like listen sure. i'm only i'm i'm only going to be here this tour only lasts this much longer like i need to get a job now because if i don't get a job now then by the time i get a job we're going to be moving to the next place mhm mhm so you feel like you're a bit of, a bit of on a time, on a clock. Right. So in, after a few months of not, not getting anywhere where I wanted to get, I saw that Blue Star Families was looking for volunteers. And so I just started volunteering with them because as, as many military spouses do, you volunteer to build your resume. Mm -hmm. And that happened to, and as soon as I started volunteering, I saw that they were looking for a consultant. So at first I moved into a consultant role and then eventually to staff and, you know, just kept getting more and more integrated into Blue Star Families. Do most people work remotely for them? 
everybody does. That's we're entirely true. remote. So we were doing Zoom before it was cool. Right. Yes. <laughs> the majority of us are military affiliated, affiliated mm-hmm. in some way, whether we're uh, a spouse or a, a veteran spouse or, mm-hmm. you know, just connected in, in um, another way. But we're 100% virtual, which has been amazing because I know several staff members who PCS, they've been through like six to eight moves. Mm-hmm. And they've kept the same job through six to eight moves. That's incredible. That never that happens. Is. That's amazing. Yeah. How big is your team? Oh gosh, I should know the the number off the top of my head. I think we're like fifty to fifty wow. to eighty, sixty yeah. to eighty employees, something gotcha. like that. Yeah, that's really cool. And how long has it been around? I know the survey's been around. You said eleven years. Um, so the, it was started in two thousand nine, and then we okay. started with a survey. Okay. So it's had our tenth anniversary last year. Yeah. And we had our. So we'll do the survey and then the results are released in the, the spring of the following week, following year. Okay. So our 2019 survey comprehensive results release was like February 26th this year. Okay. So we just barely made it in right before everything shut down because right. of yeah. like we, we were in DC and like a week later, everything shut down. Oh my gosh. So when you release those, what's that like? Where do you, do you present all that, those findings to Gosh, I wish we had time to present all the findings. There's, sure. there's a lot. It's a, it's a comp. So, it's, oh yeah, I was taking it and I was like finding things I wanted to like. Well, if this answer is this, and so I bet that this is leading to that. You know, I, I wanted to. You were right on. Yeah, the your side of me just wanted to see the numbers for sure. Yes. So we, it's, it's comprehensive, right? It covers mm-hmm. so many different topics that impact military families, and I think that's important because, I mean, we know that you can't talk about just spouse employment. You have to talk about spouse employment and childcare mm-hmm. and service member job demands and deployments and time away and trainings and all of those things and relocations, all of those things impact employment. So you need to look at the whole picture and how, see how these things interact with one another. So we have this comprehensive survey that turns into a comprehensive report. And we can't actually fit everything that we find into the comprehensive report. So we really have to edit and narrow it down to only the most important things. Mm -hmm. But when we have, when we release our results, it's usually the spring of the year and we have a a lovely event in DC. Hopefully that'll be in person next spring, but I don't know that that's going to happen. So if it's not in person, then we will have a lovely, robust virtual event where we will share all of our findings with everybody. Which is which can be good because it reaches a, a broader number of people that way. That's mm-hmm. one silver lining of everything going virtual is that people have more accessibility to it. So we have this huge event and then and in a typical year, I mean, DOD leadership is there, corporation leadership is there, they're there, they're listening, they're taking notes on on the findings that we have in the survey so they can take it back and implement it and make changes based on that. So great. we know that people are listening. We know that they're um, making changes as a result. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So jumping over just a little bit, these are my favorites. So. <laughs> I'm curious what advice you have for fellow military spouses. I think it's not one of the stumbling blocks that I have that I've talked a little bit about is um, I got too wrapped up in the way things should be like I should be able to do this. And when you get too tied into certain expectations, 
uh, military life is uncertain and things will change and you have to be able to be flexible and move with that change. Otherwise it just, it causes problems in lots of different areas. So Semper Gumby, (laughs) you have to be flexible. And that doesn't mean that you can't continue to pursue whatever goal you had. It just may take a different shape than it did before mm-hmm. or happen on a different timeline than it did, than you were anticipating it, to, it. It would, but flexibility is important. Don't get too stuck on way, the way things should be and the way, um, what you were expecting. Absolutely. Excellent advice. And seemingly somewhat obvious for the military spouse, but also so hard to so hard to always, do. so hard to do when you really have to do it. Right. right. Yeah. Like even, even, especially now during COVID, like even trying to figure out what schools were going to look like. It's like when, mm-hmm. when everything shut down in March, I'm like, okay, I just have to make it to the start of the next school year. Mm-hmm. And then we're, everything's going to be good. Every, everybody's going to be back in school. We're just going to ride this out. Right. That is absolutely not what happened. <laughs> No, that's like all the all the you know memes and just the joking about forget 2020 and how to it's like you guys I don't think this wraps up at the end of December I, I was so hopeful that I'm like okay well we'll lock down for six weeks and then we'll be good right and, but it will be gone no big deal no and and colleagues and friends were like no, I'm pretty sure this is, this is good. We're going to see it come back in September. We're going to see this for a little while. I'm like, and I'm holding on to hope going, no, the kids are going to be back at school. It's going to happen. Right, right. And no, how old are your kids? Uh, 11, nine, and six. Okay. So the littlest just started kindergarten. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Didn't even make it a full year. Poor oh, thing. Gosh. Poor kiddo. A friend, friend of ours there in England. So he went to kindergarten but it's they'd never been in the building you know she had to drop them off at the gate and it's just like you know they don't know they don't know that's not how it works but we know that you're supposed to walk with them to their desk and put their backpack in the cubby yeah it's just (laughs) and he crushed it he had did an amazing job so but it's it's my I told you my my colleague my co-director her her son started kindergarten today and it just, it looks so different than you would expect kindergarten right. to look. Anyway, the, their resilience, that's, and that's the thing that, again, military spouses know better than, than anyone, that kids are resilient. So mm-hmm. they, they are, and yet we take, we do things like the survey to reduce the things, that, the, the stressors that shouldn't have to happen. Sure. Because mm-hmm. we can handle the big stuff. We can, we know that deployments are a thing. We know that relocations are a thing like that's fine it's the little things like it's the the tiny little rule changes that Mm. push you over the edge you're like what do you mean you can't pick the kids up from school because you are quarantining and you can't be out of the house you can only go to work and home what do you mean that you can't go to the grocery store and now I have to do all of it that's such a good point and it's this ripple effect that this whole that this is just having on everything friend of mine who got into trying to go to nursing school, but that's not essential. She's not an essential worker, so she can't get the childcare to yes. go to nursing school to become an essential worker so she can have childcare. <laughs> you know? Oh my God, right? <laughs> when does it end? There's something, everybody's got something too, you know, it's just different challenges. And that's, it's, that's the amazing thing you're doing is you guys are working to at least try to minimize those. So 
but we need data to make that happen. So yes. we need people to take the survey so that we understand data. what what the issues and what the solutions are. Yeah. Like, this is this is the first time we've had to deal with schooling in a pandemic. The first time we've had to deal with childcare issues mm -hmm. in a pandemic. If your spouse is deployed and you're trying to virtual school and you're also trying to work and you're right. like, how are right. you doing that? Right. And that's the thing is, it's like something's got to give. And so whether that's you're sending your kid to a school, you're not comfortable sending them or you're quitting your job, there's just- Or somewhere. you're not sleeping and you're getting right. up at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right. Your, your mental health is just completely shot. Yeah. So Precisely. It's, yep. It's, um, and the, the neat thing, I think too, the research that you're doing, God willing, we won't be in another pandemic, but it's going to shed light on what those big stressors are. Like, what is it that goes first and what is it that needs- to be addressed first, even if it's not a pandemic. So I oh. think that's, that's awesome. Well, I think what this pandemic will show us is it will intensify the cracks that were already there. Like right. we already knew spouse employment was a problem. We already knew childcare was a problem. We already knew relocation is stressful. Mm -hmm. um, and just those things intensified now. And I think yeah. the first things to give, as, as, as you um, mentioned or brought up, the first things to give are the only places that can give. So service members still have a mission to do. They mm -hmm. still have to deploy. They still have to, to do the things that they have to do. So the only place that there is give, it tends to fall on the spouses because right. the spouses are not mission essential. Right. Many of them are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where so, sometimes I find myself telling my husband, like, I know we are your priority, but we're not able to take priority right now. And Oh, that's a good and way I understand that. it and and he understands that too and it's not the way he would want it to be but there are just certain instances where it doesn't matter how much he prioritizes us in his mind and his heart there is a technically a legal obligation to yes. do these things so so it is what it is and we figure it out and like you said we we bend where we can bend so mm -hmm. yeah so we we know that this is disproportionately going to impact women. Sure. And that's why I said I was, I'm, I'm really interested to see what the employment stats are going to look like, because mm -hmm. I imagine a lot of spouses, if, if we're going to, if we're the place that can bend, then a lot of us are going to be stepping out. I imagine many of us will step out of the labor force or can, right. or increase our, un, increase our underemployment. Yes. 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 No, yes. Checks. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it takes a little mental gymnastics to get there, but you know what I mean? I'm tracking. Yep. And that's something that unfortunately I think is we are going to be the bold version of what the entire country is going to see. This is going to affect, unfortunately, women in the workplace who have nothing to do with the military because of the patriarchy, but we <laughs> have to go there right now. <laughs> yes. Well, I was I was having a conversation with somebody a while back about how the COVID was going to be and virtual schooling and everybody working from home was going to be the great equalizer mm. because both both genders are equally exposed to the children. They're equally exposed to the work. It's it's all everybody is all together. And so it's going to split up equally because everybody's home. That mm. is obviously not what, what occurred. Like what <laughs> happens is that women are disproportionately managing children and children's education and childcare and working and all the other things. Because they're the things that they were, had a pulse on and now have just amplified. So that's just what, what happens. But yeah, that was optimistic though. 
that was an optimistic thought and I appreciate the optimism. Yeah. So anyhow, without getting too far off track, can you tell me about a military spouse that changed you? I was trying to narrow it down to just one, but I work with, I work with so many amazing military spouses that are just, especially right now, they're just rock stars in the middle of this pandemic. They're, I mean, I just saw in a Facebook thread today of all a bunch of military spouses saying, this is my new working view. And it's a picture of them at their computer and then their child at their computer doing their virtual schooling next to each other. And it's just this whole list of my coworkers and former coworkers who are doing just rock stars right now, doing, Mm -hmm. taking care of kids, making sure they're, they have what they need to be uh, to be healthy and and sane, mm-hmm. and also being amazing employees at the same time and just killing it in this mm-hmm. pandemic. So I was trying to narrow it down to one, and I I couldn't because there are there are so many amazing spouses that are just doing incredible things. I try and think of um, some of the spouses that I that I know who work in this space who are you know, founding nonprofits while they're managing children who have special needs during the middle of a, a geobatch. Mm. These are incredible people that are doing amazing things sure. simultaneously while they're managing children and households and, right. you know, making the world continue to turn for their mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a military spouses have a lock on the perspective that if you wait for the right time to do something, you'll never do it because... <laughs> Even if you think it's about to be the right time, then your orders will change. So right, or somebody's <laughs> going to get deployed, or yeah, right. So you just or schools will close because there's a pandemic, or there's a hurricane. <laughs> right, exactly. All of it at once. Why not? Sure. Okay. So the next part. This is just a really quick rapid fire. These are just for fun. Nothing deep. Um, first one is your favorite junk food. Mm, Oreos. Oh, I haven't Oreos. I had um, so. Sorry about Oreos and military spouse and deployments and stuff. It it ties in, <laughs> trust me. So one of the best things about moving to this community is I've moved into a wonderful neighborhood full of neighbors who are willing to help and give. I mean, we'd been there like three days and the kids were in school and we're walking to the bus stop and I met my neighbor and I was like, yeah, we just got here. We just moved in a couple of days ago. Our household goods aren't in. So we're sleeping in sleeping bags on the floor. And she's like, come over and stay in my house. I got a guest room. I'm like, you met me three minutes ago, but thank you. That's the best thing too. Like neighbors like that are so, especially I think the civilian neighbors that are like that have no idea how big of an impact they have. We had neighbors right. like that in Idaho who just saved us in ways that it's like they don't realize what it's like to have a neighbor like that when you don't have the family member, when you don't have the comfort person that you can call when you're, especially when you first get there. So, so anyway. Yeah. So she definitely, she, she's a civilian. She definitely mm-hmm. saved me because, you know, she, of course, once we got here, um, he deployed mm-hmm. very first thing because that's how that works. And we had little kids. So, I I was, you know, venting one night and saying, oh, I just got the kids in bed. I really want some Oreos, but I can't leave the house. And so he called our neighbor from from his Aww. deployment and said, can you go bring her some Oreos? Aww. And there she is knocking at my door 30 minutes later with a, bas- a thing of Oreos. Oh, that's so sweet. And very sweet of your husband, too. That's really cute. So what's your favorite book? 
Outlander. Do you know Outlander? <laughs> okay. I I have tried to start Outlander like four four different times because <laughs> this is why you have to start Outlander. That's <laughs> right, okay. why. Him right there. Well, here's the funny thing too. I've tried it a few different times. It's just I for some reason I just can't get into it. And then a friend of mine sent me a text the other day because she was like, Oh my gosh, I started watching Outlander. I loved it. I kept recommending it to all these people. And then I got a few more episodes in. And now I'm trying to remember everyone I recommended it to because it's like porn. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I know, I know. <laughs> so I like it and my mother-in-law likes it, but we cannot watch it together. Because <laughs> that's just no, we can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So no, I'm not familiar, but I have I have plenty of people that, that uh, surround me are super into it. So I I will probably give it another try at some point. My aunt is just in love with them, and every time I talk to her, she tells me to read them. So <laughs> the problem is, it's sort of like when you try to read the Bible. Like, all right, you read like okay, how many times do you read Genesis? But it's like you kind of you have to read the first couple chapters of Outlander yeah. because it's been too long, and so. You, you really just have to slog through the, I mean, I mean uh, this is coming from a fan. Yeah. Uh, you got to just slog through the first like 300 pages or so. It does okay. pick up after that, but it is okay. a little uh, wordy in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And I, now I think I do better because at first, at first I was even like, is it, are they time traveling? You know, like, <laughs> kind of like, like what's going to on here? Yeah, Get exactly. to the point. Exactly. So anyway, um, what is your favorite guilty pleasure? Outlander. <laughs> <laughs> Book and then television. Yeah. Yes. A uh, glass of wine and Outlander on TV. That's Got it. it. What is one word to describe yourself? Mm, enthusiastic. Like it. And one word to describe your spouse? Mm. He would not agree with this, but steady. He, okay. he, he I, I think he would view things the other way around where I'm, I'm the logistics person and I make sure that the plans I don't know I know a lot of spouses are like this make sure plans are done and I make sure the the house is running the way it should run and uh, he comes in and brings the fun and the spontaneity okay. uh, but he's also this the steady person who's always there I like steady that's great that's that's probably a, a pretty solid word for my husband as well because I sometimes I, I people fire these back at me and I'm like I don't know <laughs> Right. I mean, these are not easy questions. This is my podcast, yeah. <laughs> I get to ask the question. Right. I'm supposed to do. I told a couple of people asked me to do one, and so I, my my husband's going to interview me for one, but I just kind of keep putting it off because <laughs> I'm, I'm intimidated, which is stupid. Anyway, that's all of those. So thank you very okay. much. And the final portion. Uh, this is brand spanking new. We'll go ahead and end the episode with you sharing your favorite quote with us. This too shall pass. I record the beginning and end of these episodes right after I finish editing them. So I'm always so amped up with energy. I think partly because it's one of the only times I get to drink a cup of coffee at a fairly normal pace because I have locked the kiddos out of the office. But truly just because I... I'm so energized by these incredible spouses that I get the chance to talk to. And obviously Jessica was no exception. Getting a PhD as a male spouse is seriously incredible. Again, I 
really hope that you take the time to fill out the annual military family lifestyle survey. You can grab the link on our website, social media, the show notes. You can go straight to bluestarfam.org and make sure that your voice is heard. Have a wonderful week.